He stands before the shattered mountain and mourns for the cataclysm he cannot remember. Zarfall Brightwind shoulders his pack and begins walking again through the ash and ruin. I confess, he says to the dust-filled wind, to being befuddled by the recent course of events. Even as I approached the mountain, I wonder, why did I die here? What a strange thing to muse upon, and yet how can I not? I was here, I died here, and I have no memory of the reason. To die is not ignoble, but to die without knowledge or consequence is a fate that can hardly be borne. So here I am, returning to the place of my demise, seeking answers. Why was I here? Who did this? And what part did I play in this apocalypse? He falls silent as the broken peaks of Mount Baram shift and groan, sounding like a titan crying out in pain. Hand falling to the hilt of his rapier, he grips tightly and forces his feet to continue. Closer and closer he marches, eyes searching out the telltale signs of an opening in the mountain. Of course, it could be gone, buried in the cataclysm. It matters not. The mages who seemingly caused this destruction retreated into the heart of the mountain. If he wishes to discover the truth of what happened, he must find a way into those tunnels. And so, Zarfall Brightwind walks on through the ash and devastation. Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures, the solo actual play podcast where stories are told at the speed of dice. With me, Steve Morrison, your game master and solo player. Now come on, let's grab the dice and see where our story goes. Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures as we continue our mini-series with Tales of the Burned Stones. Last time, Zarfall Brightwind, an orc strider, wakes in pain under a sky of fire and ash. He quickly discovers two things. He lies in the devastation surrounding Mount Baram, and he was resurrected from the dead by Dyra, a sister of the Eclipse. Shaking off his stupor, Zarfall learns that Dyra and the other sisters of the Eclipse witnessed a vision of destruction and were called to this place. They arrived too late to stop the cataclysm, but they were able to find those who were yet close to life and resurrect them. Together, Zarfall and Dyra travel to a nearby village where more survivors have gathered. Zarfall learns that the leadership of the village was wiped out in the cataclysm and that a group of mages may have been responsible. They retreated into a tunnel that leads under Mount Baram. Zarfall attempts to convince a villager who witnessed this to guide him, but he is unsuccessful. Zarfall resupplies and replaces his armor, then rests for the night. In the morning, he declares his intention to return to Mount Baram to investigate this tunnel, find these mages, and determine what happened and why he was present at the mountain. Dyra wishes him well as he begins his journey. Zarfall Brightwind 
is walking over land that was perhaps an open grassy plain, but now is burnt and covered in ash and devastation. And he is making his way towards the shattered remains of Mount Baram. He is closing in on this shape in the distance, this ruinous shape towards which he is marching. Now, in Tales of the Burned Stones, there are a few things that we could do here. We could do a journey, which would be a way to determine the number of key events that happen between one location and another. But since I've already set this up, that the village that Zarfall went to is only about an hour away from where the mountain is, I don't know that doing a journey here makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm going to just bypass that, and I'm going to start off this session with a roll. And that role is to determine how difficult it is for Zarfall to find a tunnel opening into Mount Baram. Because he received directions to where there should be a tunnel that these mages escaped into. But obviously in the cataclysm, that may have shifted and changed. So there is some question here as to whether or not he's going to find what he's looking for, or if he's going to have to wander around. Maybe he does find a tunnel, but it's the wrong sort of tunnel, and it doesn't take him exactly where he wants to go. So we are going to make a check here using a skill or an item, and we're going to pick our skill here, and I think, unfortunately, I'm going to call it willpower again, which is a D4, because this is about his ability to, to look around, to perceive his surroundings and what is going on here. And so he's only got a D4 in that, but he is a pathfinder. This is the ability that I unlocked for being a strider, and that Ability allows him to roll with good position when looking for a way through unfamiliar terrain. And I think that this is definitely unfamiliar terrain. And so what rolling with a good position means is he gets to roll with one step higher. So the d4 steps up to a d6. I could maybe push this to an excellent position because he did receive directions from a villager, but I think because so much has changed since that villager witnessed the mages disappearing into the tunnels, I'm not going to change that position. So I'm just going to leave it at a good position for Zarfall Brightwind. I'm going to pick up my D6, and we're going to start off this session finding out if he can discover the tunnel that will lead him into Mount Baran. Here we go. A three on the dice. You succeed, but there is a minor complication. So he is going to find the tunnel, but there is a minor complication. So we have a complications table that uh, we can roll on to give us some ideas of what the complication might be. So there's a table for mechanical-based, and then there's a table for fiction-based. 
So I'm of course gonna choose the fiction based because we're just starting our adventure. I don't wanna immediately start by pushing Zarfall to take some damage or to lose an item or anything like that. I think it's, it's better if it's fiction based. So there are three options here. Uh, the options are if you were careful, if you were forceful, or if you were quick. I think that Zarfall is being careful here. So he is trying to find this place, but he's doing so carefully. So I'm gonna roll a D8 and see what my fictional-based complication is. An eight. I found the wrong place. Okay, so I succeeded on my test, which means Zarfall is able to navigate his way successfully through the destruction and ruin that surrounds Mount Baram. And he's going to find a tunnel entrance that is going to allow him to get into the tunnels underneath the mountain. But unfortunately, he finds the wrong tunnel. We could just leave it there that he found the wrong tunnel and that is that. But I think maybe we could ask an additional question, which is, did he find the wrong tunnel because it's just not the tunnel he's looking for? Or did he find the wrong tunnel because there's something in that tunnel that is going to oppose him? I'm going to roll on the question oracle. Did he find a tunnel that is occupied? I think it's unlikely. We'll roll a d6. Roll a two, which is no and. So I think it's no and he just, he found a tunnel that leads into the mountain. So let's go back to the narrative here. Zarfall spends an hour retracing his steps from the village back to the area surrounding Mount Baram. And then maybe he spends another hour or so wandering around, seeking out an entrance in the tunnel. And with every step that he takes as he draws closer to Mount Baram, even though the cataclysm happened a day ago, there is still such intense heat radiating off the mountain that there is sweat pouring down his green skin and his top knot is sticking to his head as it sways in the dust and the ash. And that, that dust and ash that's in the air, it begins sticking to him, to his clothes, to his face, to his hands. And he's coughing a few times. <coughs> This place is full of destruction and ruin. And yet, I sense that there is more hidden underneath this mountain. I must find my way in. And he continues searching for an entrance to Mount Baram. And then, after about an hour or so, he finds something. He finds a small tunnel. And it's half buried in debris and detritus. But there's an opening nonetheless, and he wanders over to it. He sees some of that dust sort of filtering through the rock, and he, he realizes there must be a tunnel on the other side. And so he crosses over to where this is right up against the mountain, and he gingerly reaches out and touches the stones, and they are hot to the touch. And so he tears off some fabric from a spare cloak and wraps it around his hands and uses that to cushion his hands from the heat as he pulls away these stones, revealing a tunnel entrance that leads into the mountain. 
once he has opened up enough of an entrance, he slips into the tunnel and he pulls out a torch and he lights it. And he is wandering back through this tunnel that is on a slight decline, heading deeper and deeper into the earth. He pauses at a few places and crouches down and is looking towards the ground. And he's expecting to see footprints or some markings of passage coming through here. But nothing that he sees indicates that mages or or anyone really passed through here within the last couple days. Almost immediately, he realizes, This is not the tunnel that I wanted. It is not the tunnel that I was aiming for, but it is a tunnel nonetheless. And so I must carry on. I must go deeper. If I can find a junction, perhaps I can pick up the trail. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to keep walking. He's going to descend deeper into the mountain and is going to start looking for any signs of passage through here. So let's talk about Dungeon Expeditions. Dungeon Expeditions allow you to discover what has been lost in the world and to define what creeps in the dark. When you start an expedition, first assess what your goal is, treasures, glory, a monster, an opponent, knowledge, etc. Then go through the following steps to create your expedition map. So my goal is to find the mages who perpetrated this destruction. So we're going to roll a d20 on a piece of paper. This is where you are right now. And then you roll a d4 on the paper. Then you roll the die that's one step above until you get a 5 plus or reach the d12. Each die represents a different point of interest in the dungeon. Look at the number on each die and interpret the results as follows. If you get a 1 to 2, your presence is directly opposed. If you get a 3 or 4, your path is blocked by an obstacle. 5 plus, you have found your goal. Quickly sketch out a map based on the physical locations of the dice you rolled. Draw lines to roughly group the points of interest based on their physical location. To move from one group to the next, use the risk oracle to know if the way forward is risky. I have gone ahead and rolled out my dice, so I've got a little map in front of me. I'm not going to tell you how many steps we've got on this map, but uh, we are going to start off by rolling on the Risk Oracle as we head towards our first point of interest. And the way that we roll on the Risk Oracle is we are going to Choose if this is chaotic, precarious, manageable, predictable, or stable, and that's going to determine what die we're rolling for the Risk Oracle. So because we are just entering the mountain, I'm going to say that it is manageable. So we're going to roll a d8, and that is going to tell us what our risk level is here. A 6. The situation is not risky. You simply do it. Okay. So Zarfall Brightwind has his torch lit and he is walking down the tunnel and it's there's an eerie silence to this place as he's walking despite the the sounds of the mountain groaning and shifting that he heard outside here deep in the mountain at least so far there have been no sounds or signs of the tunnels shifting or stone falling or groaning away. So Zarfal continues making his way deeper and deeper through the tunnel. 
he follows the wending passageway until he reaches a small opening. And as he is approaching that opening, he pauses and listens and still only hears silence. And so he peeks his head through that opening and looks into this small cavern. And this small cavern is dark until he shoves the torch out into it and the the light licks against the walls and the shadows dance on the stone. And he can see that there is a small cavern here, an opening that he climbs out into. And it, it, it appears to be empty, an empty cave with stalactites hanging from the ceiling and there is the faintest sound of water dripping in the distance. And as he looks around, he sees that there is another tunnel entrance on the other side of this room, but it has been blocked off. There appears to be a stone that was rolled across the opening. And for a moment, Zarfal is unsure if that stone was something that fell here or if it is something that was placed here. And as he draws closer to it and he looks at it, it appears to be shaped as if it was rolled here, as if it was placed here. And he is going to then set down the torch and he's going to brace himself against it and he's going to push and push and push and try to open this passageway. But no matter how hard he strains, this stone is far too heavy for one person to move alone. He looks around the room and he picks up the torch and he lifts it high as he's inspecting the ceiling. And it's then that he realizes that the stalactites that he sees up above in the middle of this cavern, they're just hanging from the middle of the cavern. And then as he strains and and looks up further, he sees that those stalactites are not hanging from the ceiling of this cavern, but they are hanging from a walkway, a walkway that connects two other tunnel entrances that are higher up in this cavern. And he then realizes that this cavern is larger than he thought. And so he is going to uh, attempt to throw up the torch onto this ledge and then fashion, uh, you know, like with rope and a, a grappler and, and throw it up there and try to latch it around the walkway and then climb his way up to this second level. And so to do that, we're going to make another check. And this time we're going to use our dexterity, which is a D8. And I think the position here is just fair. Performing the check is normal. Uh, He's not really in a bad position, but he's also not really in a good position. So we're going to roll a D8 and see how successful he is in this. A five. Greatly succeed. The higher the result, the better. He looks up there, he sees this, and something in him awakens. And he remembers a time when he climbed the cliffs of Avara, and he throws the torch up and it lands on this walkway, and and the light sort of gutters a little bit, but it stays constant. 
and then he fashions this grappler and rope and he swings it around several times building momentum and then he throws it up and over the walkway and is able to snag the hook and it holds bracing himself he begins to climb his way up and it's slow going at first but again his hands and his fingers remember the hard work of climbing up the cliffs and he makes his way up and over the walkway and is able to see that there is now a tunnel entrance on either end of this walkway and both are open to him and so he looks back and he sees the way he came in down below and he turns around and he sees the tunnel entrance ahead of him that is open just above the tunnel entrance below that is blocked off by that stone and so he is going to pick up his torch unhook the grappler and stow that back away in his pack and he is going to make his way forward through that entrance and deeper into the tunnels. So let's go ahead and roll another Risk Oracle as he continues to the next portion of this expedition. The deeper he gets, the more dangerous it's going to get. So it's going to be precarious this time. He's farther up in the mountain, having climbed up here. And I think that means that he's closer potentially to the destruction so we'll roll a d6 see how chaotic it is a three situation is risky make a check so let's roll on a locations table here 11 spectral okay so he's making his way through this tunnel as he walks the stones themselves begin to hum It's faint at first, but slowly as he goes deeper and deeper, he hears this. And it is, again, subtle at first. But once he notices it, he can't get it out of his head. He can't push it away. At a certain point, that initial hum is joined by another. And then another and then another and it becomes this cacophony of sound that is weighing down Zarfal's mind and it is making it harder to focus and each step is more and more of a challenge each step is as if he's pushing his way through mud and his pace is slowing And his torch is drooping lower and lower to the ground and his shoulders are hunched over as one hand is pressed to one of his ears and he's trying to push his way forward. And we have to make a check to overcome this obstacle here. This makes sense to me as being willpower or it could be strength, strength of will, strength of endurance to push through. So since I've been leaning on willpower a decent amount, I'm going to go ahead and roll strength. I also want to note here, since I didn't note it before, that I've stepped down my dexterity from a D8 to a D6. Every time we're making a check, whether you succeed or fail, your die is stepping down, with the exception of a D4, because you cannot step down a skill below a D4. 
So we're going to roll our d6 for strength as Zarfall is trying to push his way through. Because this was a risky result and not a perilous result, I'm just going to say that it's fair position. So we're performing the check as normal. Roll the d6. Here we go. A three. You succeed, but there is a minor complication. So once again, we're going to step down our d6 down to a d4 for strength. And then we need a complication. Again, I think it makes sense for this to be a fiction-based complication. I'm going to say this was forceful, though, because he was trying to basically push through and shoulder through this strain and get to the other side. So we're going to roll a d8. A one got hurt. Okay, so I think what it means is that when he stumbles out of that tunnel into the next cavern, his ears are bleeding. He's dazed and a little bit stunned. And as he stumbles into this next room, he doesn't realize that there's something in here with him. He's not alone in this place. But I don't know what's in here with him. So I think we should ask the Oracle, is there a monster in here with him? I think that is likely. So we'll roll a d8. A five is a yes. Yes, there is. And it is aggressive. It is ready to oppose him and attack him. So we need to come up with an opponent for him here. Enemies are made the following way. Details, a short description to highlight their thematic identity. Resilience, a number usually 3, 5, 8, 13, or 21. That represents their overall well-being. When their resilience reaches zero or lower, they are vanquished or taken out. Strength, a die rating ranging from a D4 to a D12. That represents their overall power and effect on the fiction. Abilities, special talents which they may use to alter the fiction the rules, or the terms of a combat scene. So why don't we go ahead and roll on our sparks to see if it gives us an idea of what this creature might be that is standing between Zarfall and the other side of this tunnel. So we'll roll 2d6 for the theme, 5 and 5, Deception. So this is a creature that is deceptive. So it's hiding in here. Oh yeah, I know exactly what it's going to be. So Zarfall continues making his way down the tunnel, and he is overwhelmed by this, this cacophony of these hums resonating in his head. And so as he stumbles out of the tunnel into what is a larger chamber than the previous chamber that he was in, he does not hear this faint... As soon as he's out of the tunnel, that humming stops. It's as if there was something in that tunnel that was creating a resonance and was causing him this psychic pain. And as soon as he's out of it, he is free of it. And he's kind of panting a little bit. And It was a burdensome journey through that tunnel, but I have reached the other side. And now I must find my way forward. He shakes his head and tries to clear some of that disorientation from his mind. As he does so, he reaches out a hand to lean against the wall. It's cold and wet and sticky. That instantly 
raises his hackles as he pulls his hand away and this sticky substance comes with it from the wall and he looks down at what appear to be the remnants of webs and of course there's a giant cave spider in this room because what better dungeon delving experience is there than to run into a giant spider so combat in tales of the burnstones we've got a couple of options there are the general combat rules which essentially involve going back and forth taking turns and attacking so on and so forth and wearing down your enemy's resilience and then there are what are called challenges and the book recommends that you can use challenges to handle combat encounters when playing solo because it isn't necessarily relying so heavily on hitting the resilience every single roll. Because combat in Tales of the Burnt Stone, much like in Stone Burner, is very dangerous. I am going to use the regular combat turns because I think Zarfall can take this this cave spider on his own. If you were facing multiple cave spiders, we might be talking about a different story. So we're going to define our enemy here, and I've chosen a resilience of five for this cave spider, a strength of a d6, and it has one ability, and that ability is sticky webs. It is large and furry with these mandibles that are click clacking on its face and it is large and looming on the ceiling above and it's starting to descend down on a uh, thread of its webbing and in combat uh, it's an exchange made of rounds and turns every participant player or enemy can perform one action per turn like changing the battlefield attacking using an ability or moving a great distance so because we stumbled into this cave in a disoriented fashion, I'm going to give the initiative to the spider. This could be a very bad thing for poor Zarfall, but narratively makes sense. So the spider descends down from its webbing and it is going to essentially drop down almost on top of Zarfall and is going to try and bite at him with its mandibles. So we are going to roll a d6 and see what we get. Of course, we get a five. And so in combat, it's different than the checks. You're not getting, you know, failure, success, greater success. In combats, you just hit. And the higher the die roll, the more hits that you get. So on a five plus, you deal three hits. So the spider lashes out with its mandibles and bites into Zarfall Brightwind's shoulder, and he is going to take three points of damage out of his six resilience. And he shudders and stumbles back for a moment, and then he is going to curse and say, I see that there is an inhabitant here. He draws out his rapier and says, I am Jafar Brightwind, and I will not fall to some spider in a cave. And he is going to attack with his own weapon. This will be a d6 for his rapier. 
a four, so he is going to deal two hits to it. As he lashes out and stabs forward, it punches through one of these pussy uh, sacks on the spider's side, and it kind of (laughs) recoils for a moment. And then the two of them circle as the spider prepares to attack again. Roll another d6. A four, that's two more hits. This time, the spider charges forward with its mandible, but Zarfall dodges to the side, except one of the legs sweeps out his legs and throws him to the ground, and then it is now looming over him. As Zarfall is looking up at this critter, he is heavily injured. He's bleeding now. His head has hit the cavern floor. You can see how dangerous combat is in Tales of the Burned Stones. And so he takes his rapier and he drives it upwards. That's a one. So on a one, we're going to deal one hit. So this spider has a resilience of five. It has taken three hits. So it still has a resilience of two. And Zarfall is in serious trouble here as the spider is above him and is going to drop down on him once again. Except would the spider attack him right here or would it use its ability? I'm going to say it's going to use its ability. So we're going to step down the D6 to a D4 and it has the ability of sticky webs because I think this creature is not looking to kill him. It wants to keep him alive so that it can feed on him. And so the spider sort of rears up and then spins around and shoots a globule of webbing that pins Zarfall to the ground and he's kind of struggling against it. And then the spider like turns around and looks down at him and sees that he is bound up by this webbing and it sort of shuffles past him and Zarfall sees it go to another corner and he sees another figure that has been webbed to the wall. That figure is sort of hanging there loosely and the spider goes over to it and sticks its mandibles into the figure and there's this low like of pain as the mandibles bite into the flesh of whatever this creature is that is hanging in another webbing cocoon and Zarfall is struggling now against the webs that are holding him to the ground he is straining and struggling and he is going to attempt to cut his way free and i think to do that he is going to use grit and grit is a special rule where once per rest basically you can roll a d12 instead of rolling one of your skills so i'm going to roll a d12 and hope for a high roll as he tries to either forcibly pull himself or cut himself out of this webbing trap that he is stuck in. Rolling the d12. 
I rolled a 12. So I think what that means is that he is able to cut his way out. His right arm that is holding his rapier has been pinned to the to the cavern floor and he is almost fully covered in this cocoon of webbing. But just before it came down on him, he managed to draw out his dagger with his left hand. He is slowly over a few minutes working at it and releasing his arm enough that he can cut himself free. And as he does so, he rises up and the spider is still feeding on the body of this figure in the cocoon. And Zarfall creeps up behind it and with his rapier lines up a shot and is going to attempt to stab the spider through its body and kill it using his now d4 rapier. I need to roll a three or better on this roll. I got a three. So Zarfall walks up behind it. The spider kind of stops for a second and like almost starts to turn as Zarfall says, You thought you had trapped me, but Zarfall Brightwind will never fall to a spider. And he drives the rapier through the spider's body. It shudders and releases this (laughs) cry and slumps to the ground. It's quiet for a moment in this cavern as Zarfall looks beyond the body of this spider to this figure that is suspended in a cocoon. And looking at the figure, he sees what appear to be finely appointed robes and maybe some precious metals glinting in the last little bits of torchlight from his burning torch that's laying in the ground behind him. And he steps forward and says, My friend, I am called Zarfall Brightwind. And if you are still living, I will help you gain your freedom. Instead of a response, there is only a gasping (sighs) rattle that comes from the figure in the cocoon. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures, and thanks so much to Tabletop Audio for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please spread the word, and if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, I'm at errantsolopod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.